Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Builders. Pastors Philip and Michelle Still are dedicated to building your faith and framing your world by the Word of God. There are many more resources available on our website, www.buildfaith.net, where you can find links to our audio and video archives. We also invite you to join us online for our live stream services. Remember to build your faith and frame your world by the Word of God. My message tonight to you is the spirit of prophecy. The spirit of prophecy. I had a dream the other night. I sometimes hesitate to say that because the scripture says, young men shall have visions and the old men shall dream dreams. So maybe I have crossed over uh, to another dimension. But let me explain to you what this dream was about because that's what I'm going to share with you tonight, the spirit of prophecy. Uh, I saw three squares about the size of this TV monitor up here. I saw one uh, that was green. I saw one that was white. And I saw one that was blue. And I asked the Lord, what does that mean? He said, the green one uh, represents Uh, the spirit of prophecy and revelation that's going on right now in the spirit. The white one represents the church and what is going on in the church. And you must warn the church about some of the things that are going on now so they won't be deceived and so they won't be distracted. And he said, (laughs) the blue one, and this is, I was reading this again last night, and I just fell over my desk and started weeping. He said, the blue one is about what's going on in heaven. He said, what's going on in heaven now is, and I won't, I won't tell you all of it, but he said, uh, what's going on in heaven now is we're getting ready for the coronation. We're getting ready for the coronation. Jesus will be coronated King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And we're preparing for that. So I'm going to deal with those three things tonight. Number one, the green, the green screen, (laughs) you could say, is revelation. What is it? The spirit of prophecy. Uh, We'll read it in Revelation 19 where it says, the spirit of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus And keep in mind, this is what he made clear to me. There's so much going on now in heaven. There's so much being poured out on the earth. You'll not hear of it uh, uh, in secular areas. You'll not hear of it in many spiritual areas. Uh, Like the Apostle Paul said one time in 1 Corinthians 2, I believe it was, he said, I could not speak unto you as unto spiritual because you are carnal. You are not able to hear these things. So don't disdain or resist or hold back or criticize the moving of the Spirit like this uh, because that's the Holy Spirit's way of birthing these things uh, into uh, the church. And the the white uh, screen uh, was what's going on in the church and the blue screen represented heaven. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 1. I want you to see what the Bible says uh, about the book of Revelation and what he says about prophecy. Because a lot of the stuff that we have seen and that we have heard uh, that has been called prophecy is not. Uh, And what we experienced just now uh, was a manifestation of the Holy Ghost and the Holy Spirit was speaking things in the Spirit. And we will see those things come to pass. And you'll know when they come to pass because you'll have the witness of it. Revelation chapter 1. The Apostle John, and if your Bible says the revelation of St. John, the divine, you can do like I do if you didn't want to. You don't have to, but I crossed that out years ago. The revelation is not of St. John the divine. The revelation is the revelation of Jesus. It says that in the very first verse. Uh, the, you know, the printer and the, you know, the people that 
put out these Bibles, they put the revelation of St. John the Divine. We know what that means, but it's actually the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to John to show unto his servants things which shall shortly come, must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified uh, by his angel unto his servant John. Go down to verse 3. Blessed is he that readeth and they that hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written therein for the time is at hand. John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you, peace from him which is and which was and which is to come. Now, I want you to go uh, one page over and I want you to read uh, verse 19. Revelation 1, 19, because this sums up what the revelation is about and the time period that it's going to cover. It says, write these things uh, which you have seen and the things which are and the things which shall be thereafter. So here's three areas of time, things that are in the past, things that are in the present, and the things that are in the future. So keep that in mind as we study this. You go through Revelation. It will illuminate you things of the past, things of the present, and things of the future. Now let me define prophecy for you so you'll know. Prophecy is a specific thing that will happen in the future. Let's say that out loud. A specific thing that will happen in the future. A specific thing that will happen in the future. It is not a pattern. It is not a parallel. It's not a comparison. It's a specific thing that will happen in the future. Let me give you an example. Several years ago, there was a book written, uh, and it was a good book. No problems with the book. But it was not prophecy. It was showing patterns. It was showing comparisons. And it was showing supposition. And the book, and I'll just go ahead and say it because it was in a book published. and It was comparing Ahab and Jezebel with Bill and Hillary Clinton. Some of you may have read that. You may have heard about it. Uh, Ahab and Jezebel, characters in the Old Testament and uh, shady characters at that. And they contrasted Ahab and Jezebel with Bill and Hillary Clinton in this generation. Well, even though there were some characteristics that matched up with Ahab and Jezebel, Bill and Hillary Clinton are not Ahab and Jezebel. Amen. Are you following me? Yes, so uh, prophecy is not a comparison or a pattern, or a parallel. And most of what we hear today in the arena of prophecy or end times is patterns and parallels. Yeah. It's comparisons. It's not true spirit of prophecy. Let me give you an example of a true spirit of prophecy. <laughs> Go over to Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14. The prophet Isaiah said, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now that's prophecy. It was a specific thing. Flip over to Isaiah chapter 9 and look at verse 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The government will be upon his shoulders. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. That's prophecy. That is a specific thing uh, <laughs> that is going to happen in the future. Of course, it's already happened, but Isaiah prophesied it hundreds of years before it ever happened. So there are going to be many comparisons, and and I'm going to deal with some of those things now. And, you know, Jesus said in Matthew 24, the uh, Mount Olivet Discourse that he gave to his disciples at that time, 
And he said, the first thing that I want to warn you about is don't be deceived. Don't let any man deceive you. And we're not trying to be uh, critical, judgmental, um, harmful, but, but we want to stick with the book. Amen. We want to stay uh, with the Spirit. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Now, I brought a book that I put in the category of those um, end time things and all prophecy books, and you have to look and see where are they getting their information? Uh, what is the source of what they're sharing? Now, here's one, and I'm purposely not showing the cover because it's not my purpose to um, criticize anybody, but this was a book that I ordered because I, I was interested in what it had to say. Uh, and every time I get a book or one is sent to me, and I get lots of books sent to me, but some of them I buy myself. And uh, this book, uh, I wanted to see where they get their sources from. And so in the first uh, nine pages, it tells, the author is telling you where he is getting his information. The Apocryphal Book of Enoch. Now, if you don't know what apocryphy means or what the apocryphal, apocrypha is, let me read it to you. The apocrypha are writings or statements of dubious authenticity. The apocrypha is not the Word of God. It is not canon. Books included in the Septuagint Septuagint and Vulgate, but were excluded from Jewish and Protestant canons of the Old Testament. Early Christian writings not included in the New Testament. That's the Apocrypha. And this author is stating that one of his sources was the Apocrypha of Enoch. And he also quotes <coughs> the book of Enoch. He quotes Enoch in the book of Enoch. There is no book of Enoch in the Bible. It was not canonized. And there, was, there are reasons. Now, he goes on to list uh, some of the uh, sources uh, from the Apocrypha. And um, let me get over there. Here it is. Uh, compared with other ancient texts, including... Enoch. Now, Enoch is a real character, and he's in the Bible, but uh, his book was not canonized, which means it was not accepted as canon, as holy, divine uh, scripture. So he says uh, some of the sources that I compared with other ancient texts. Uh, Enoch, Jubilees, Baruch, Genesis Apocryphon, Philo, Josephus, now Josephus was a historian, and uh, he lived at the time, and there were a lot of things that he reported on, but there's no book of Je uh, uh, Josephus in the Bible. They didn't canonize his writings. Um, okay, then he goes on and says, Jasher, among others. It unfolds that the giants of the Old Testament, such as Goliath, were part human, part animal, part angelic offspring of the supernatural interruption of the divine order of species. Now, that's his opinion. That's supposition. That's protection. There's nothing in the scriptures, and not only, you know, a bi-person, but a tri-person. And he's calling these people that are mixtures of part human, part animal, and part angel. I have an automobile that has an electric motor and a gasoline engine. It's called a hybrid. And when you drive, the engine is running, and it's charging the battery while you're driving it. But when you stop... And I didn't know this one about the car. I bought it used. I just liked it. It was a good price, and it was low mileage, and we needed a car. And so I didn't. I had to go ask him after the first few days. I said, every time I pull up to a stop sign and put on the brake, 
uh, the engine stops. And I said, I don't like that. They said, well, it's, it's it, but when you take your foot off the brake, it, the engine starts back up. I said, I don't like it. They said, why? I, because when I was a kid growing up, I had a car like that. <laughs> you pull up the stop sign, you take your foot off the brake, and the engine would quit. <laughs> it's a scary feeling. And so he said, well, there's a little button you can push and stop. I saw I did. But here, there's nothing in the Bible that talks about uh, half people, half animals. And, and this author goes on to say uh, that these giants, now, of course, we know Goliath. We know in, uh, in the Old Testament, it talked about the Israelites going into uh, the promised land, and it said there are giants in the land. There's Anak. And, uh, and if you do research on that, you'll find real giants, etc. And then he quotes here Enoch. He said, according to Enoch, well, you know, I'm going to stick with the Canaanite Bible, Old and New Testament. I'm not going to uh, yield. Then it goes on. He said, and uh, these things, some of them have origin in early Greek mythology. Well, I remember when I was in high school, I had to, I had to read the Odyssey. That's Greek mythology. That's not Bible. That's right. You can't canonize that. That's not, that's not scriptural. Uh, and the hypothesis, now hypothesis is a man's idea. Yeah. Uh, I think this, or I believe this way, or uh, it could happen that way. And so uh, all these things are designed, I have uh, concluded, they are designed to distract us from the main thing. They're designed to distract us uh, from the real scripture. Uh, he goes on to explain where demons came from. At death, these angels that were cast out of in heaven, their spirits remain in eternal limbo, unable to perish, yet incapable of attaining heaven. Now, all you have to do is read Jude. You can read other scripture verses talks about what happened to the angels that were cast out of heaven. That's right. It said they were confined or imprisoned in chains. Now you can't you can't physically chain. You can't go get a chain out of the back of your car and incarcerate a demon. Right. He's a spirit being. An angel is a spirit being. They're not incarcerated with physical chains or ropes or jail cells. Uh, he's really referring to what God said to them. Yeah. He spoke his word right. and he said, this is your future and this is uh, where you are and you will not be released until I say so. Right. Okay. So he's talking about Greek mythology. Uh, he talks about fallen angels and, and the rest of it. Uh, and uh, let's see in this book, there are um, how many pages? Hundreds. 500, over 500 pages, so I'm not going to read uh, any more from you. But uh, these are some of the things that confuse people, and sometimes they're being led off uh, into uh, la-la land. Um, let's, let's go to Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2 <clears throat> and verse 1. Now, this has to do uh, with the white screen that I saw. Uh, the green screen was Revelation, some of what I just shared with you, of what Revelation is about. It's the testimony of Jesus Christ. Um, it covers areas that are past, present, and future. And it also uh, says, if you notice when we first read those introductory scriptures, that you would be blessed if you read this book. You will be blessed if you read the book of Revelation. There's two places that I found where God says you will be blessed, and that's if you read the book of Revelation and if you bless Israel. You'll be blessed if you bless Israel. Uh, you know, the Israel-Hamas war that's been going on, and uh, oh, I guess a couple of months ago, maybe a month ago, I began hearing, and of course, working with Christians United for Israel and all the contacts we have 
in Israel and with the IDF and the Israeli Defense Force and all that, <clears throat> I began to hear uh, where the present administration in America uh, was pushing Israel to have a ceasefire or to withdraw uh, or to stop their onward progress and, and give the uh, uh, people in Gaza some uh, assistance and whatever. And Netanyahu says, no, we're not going to do that. We cannot do that. We're not going to give our enemy a chance to, you know. And they say, well, what about humane treatment? War is war. And, you know, there are people that get killed in war, people that die in war. And yet you can't put that go to stop for a while. For whatever I thought it would do, I sent an email to all six of Arkansas's uh, congressional delegates. I know every one of them. Uh, we have six. We have three in the Senate and three in the House of Representatives. And uh, I, I sent them all an email. And I said, I, I just want to come to you from a different perspective. And they're all professing Christians. And I've met with them for the last 14 years with CUFI. Every year I go to Capitol Hill. And they've always been pro-Israel, pro-life pro-family, et cetera. All the, they got all the right checks in the right boxes. But I said, there's something you might be missing in Genesis 12, 3. It says if you, if you touch Israel, if you hurt Israel, uh, you, you'll be cursed. You, you bless Israel, you'll be blessed. You curse Israel, you'll be cursed. I said, whatever power and authority you have, uh, tell this administration, do not push Israel to a ceasefire. And do not push the two-state solution because that is not going to happen. And you, they put a lot of pressure on Netanyahu, et cetera. I've been to his office at the Knesset. I've been in his office and sat with him at a table with a lot of other delegates. And uh, you, you can only imagine the pressure that's on a man like that uh, from the world, you know, not just from the United right. States. But the United States sometimes... Uh, <coughs> throws their weight in areas because they're funding uh, all of these people uh, and they don't know what they're doing. So I appeal to these uh, <clears throat> uh, Congress people. And I told them, I said, you leave Israel alone. Israel can take care of herself and don't touch her. I heard from one, one of our congressional representatives, just one, I didn't hear a word from any of the rest of them. And the one that I did hear from sent me about a two or three page email telling me all the things that he does for Israel, which I already know. And that was what I was asking him. I was telling him, tell the hounds to back off and leave Israel alone. Uh, because, you, you know, <laughs> America is... Um, America's got enough dirty laundry of her own, right. much less stirring up devils and inviting a curse uh, to come upon them. Uh, let, let me read to you uh, just very briefly what's going on in the white screen. Uh, the church, things that are going on in the church. Now here's what the Apostle John did um, as he was revealing... Uh, to whosoever will, the testimony of Jesus. The spirit of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus. Say it out loud. The spirit of is the testimony of Jesus. Look at Revelation 2, 1. Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know your works. And then he goes on down to, um, uh, let's see, he goes to, you, you can uh, go to all of the seven churches that he writes to, Revelation chapter 3 and verse 1, to the angel of the church at Sardis, and Revelation chapter 4. And after he's written the seven churches in Asia and tells them, uh, let's go back and read this one about uh, Ephesus. Um, he says, I know your works, verse 2, Revelation 2, 2, and your labor and your patience, which are evil, uh, excuse me, and how you 
cannot bear them which are evil, and you've tried them which say they are apostles, but they are not, and have bound and found them liars. And you have borne and have patience for my name's sake, and labored and have not fainted. He's commending them. Nevertheless, say nevertheless. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against you because you have left your first love. If you read the, um, um, I have a commentary that goes into detail about all of these things. If you read commentaries, you've got to be careful with those because men's ideas get in there of interpretation. You're, you're, you're careful. Uh, and what I'm saying, um, I have somewhat against you because you've left your love the first one. I've left your love the first one. Uh, who is your first love? Well, your first love was Jesus. You've left your love the first one. They've fallen out of love with Jesus. Oh, they're doing all the right things, but they don't worship Jesus. They don't recognize him like they used to. Now, I was thinking about it. This, when I first got saved, I would spend hours just worshiping the Lord with my guitar. And I'm not, quote, a guitarist, but I learned to play the guitar. And most of the songs that we recorded on our first record albums, I wrote them under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Some of them were good songs, and we recorded them. And I spent all that time worshiping Him. I would do reference. I spent the first year after God called me in the ministry, I didn't have a Bible college to go to. And um, I would spend the, every day in my little office, which was a bedroom, taking the bed out and put a door over two file cabinets. And that was my office. And I would spend the first part of the day just worshiping the Lord. And I'd go to my office and I'd get my guitar and I'd worship him and I'd sing songs to him. <laughs> I'd make songs up in the Holy Spirit. And gradually... And he began me off into different directions of ministry. We had a radio program. We traveled. And, and, you know, gradually, uh, that time that I spent worshiping him got shorter and shorter until you get so busy, you don't have the time uh, to worship him. And, and if you're raising a family or if you're working a job, you're working business, et cetera. So Jesus told the church at Ephesus, he said, hey, I commend you on everything that you've done, but you've left your love the first one. I heard somebody say one time when Billy Graham got to heaven, look at all the awards and accolades that he's going to get. And they said, yeah, just think about the accolades and the rewards that the little old lady that prayed for Billy Graham She's going to get those same rewards. He might have been out front. He might have been the face. But she was spending the time praying for him. Hallelujah. Glory to God. So in all of these um, letters to the churches, uh, John is showcasing Jesus. He's telling each one of them uh, what they did that was right and then what they did uh, that were wrong. Go back over to uh, Matthew 24. Let's do that for just the sake of documenting uh, the chapter and verse. Matthew 24 and verse 4. After the disciples asked Jesus three questions, um, Tell us when these things are going to be, the sign of your coming and the end of the age. And he said, take heed that no man deceive you. And I want to add to that, take heed that no man distract you. And I I dealt with this recently in a uh, minister's conference. I don't know how well it was received because I wasn't there. (laughs) I couldn't get there because of the weather, so I did it by Zoom. And uh, they couldn't get the hookup that showed the congregation ministering to, I couldn't see them, but they could see me. And I took, I took a step of faith out over the water, and I dealt with some things that are very touchy. And then later they sent me a 
of my session, uh, but it did not have some of the things that I touched on in it. So apparently through high tech, they uh, eliminated them or erased them or it did not show up in the. He said, well, what did you deal with, Pastor? Well, I dealt with several things. And I'm, I'm only dealing with them, not again to be contentious, but you know, if we're not wise and careful, I don't mean that in a fearful sense in the church, uh, we'll just take anything that comes down the pike because of who said it or because of the place it was said or how it was said. And I, I'm not trying to be contentious, even though Jude tells us to contend for the faith and not to be argumentative or critical or judgmental. Uh, but that's dangerous if you accept anything comes down the pike. And I'll just go ahead and say some of it here. You can edit it out of if you don't want it in here. <laughs> it's your prerogative. But there are different opinions and different findings, and they are opinions. There is speculation that uh, there is no mention by name of the United States of America. And that America belong. Well, let's take that apart for just a minute, very briefly. There's no mention of the United States of America in the Bible for a reason. I've read it from cover to cover. It's just simply not there. And you have to look at the scriptures and the body of Christ and Christendom. It's not all about America. We tend to read the with American glasses on. Uh, but the Bible is written to all peoples all over the world. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord is Babylon. Well, there's no reference to that in the scriptures. But what's been done is that America meets all of the criteria of Babylon. And Babylon in the Bible, it calls it the mystery Babylon. Well, a mystery by definition is something that is not been revealed. It's, it's still covered. And the Bible talks about mystery Babylon. Uh, and I'll read just a few scriptures about it. My purpose tonight is not to go into an exhaustive study of all this, but to just hit some highlights and call your attention to some things. Uh, and there, then there's a, a discussion, and these are not minor. These are majors. I mean, we have many broadcasters on VTN. They don't all agree, and I don't agree with all of them. And some of them, uh, and some books now have been written. Uh, about the Nephilim, the giants in the Bible. And the, you heard where this one author said uh, these were half human, they were half God, they were half whatever. And, uh, you know, the Nephilim were the uh, giants and they saw the fairness of women in the earth so they cohabitated with the women and uh, I mean uh, the fallen angels, the fallen angels cast out of, out of heaven. They uh, cohabitated with women and produced the giants. And they go on and on about this. Well, uh, there were giants in the land. The Bible says there were. Uh, but it doesn't tell you who they were or where they came from. And if... Uh, uh, this is a fallen angel, this is a demon spirit, and it cohabitates with a woman on the earth. How does that happen? You've got one that has a flesh and blood body, and then you have one that has no body at all. It's, it's a spirit. It's a disembodied spirit. And they argue, you know, why this is, that we understand this. I've heard all arguments, everything about uh, the Nephilim, and it's a big deal. I mean, 
printed and conferences are being held and people talking about the into dragons and monsters. I'm not going to get into an argument with them, but I did find in Genesis, if you want to turn over there with me, Genesis chapter 1, and let's look at verse 11, uh, verse 12. And the earth brought forth grass, herb yielding seed after his kind, and the tree yielding fruit whose seed was in itself after his kind, and God saw that it was good. Everything produces after its own kind. So if you're a giant, uh, you can't produce a human. And you can't produce a giant. There are no hybrids. Uh, so keep everything in its proper category. Uh, scientifically, Greek mythology, I mean, you can follow that till the cows come home. But in the Bible, uh, there's, you know, some, uh, some say these, these giants were fallen angels cast out of heaven. And then others say, because it says the sons of God. Sons of God came and they cohabited with the women and they were produced uh, uh, giants. All right, well, who are the sons of God? One author says they're the sons of Seth. They're just generational uh, over the years. These are the sons of Seth one of Adam and Eve's children. And then some say they were giants. Okay, all of those things are distractions. And this is what the church has to watch out for because the church is being deceived into believing or running after a rabbit trail of things that really make no difference. Not according to our assignment. Our assignment is to preach the gospel to the world and make not trying to figure out where the giants came from. And besides that, one author was at least honest. He said, now, you know, all the giants that were in the land before the flood all drowned. Yeah, that's right. right? Every living thing drowned it's off the face of the earth. But then he says, if you keep reading after the flood, the giants show up. Where'd they come from? They learned to breathe underwater. You know, I mean, <laughs> and he was very honest. He said, we don't know. So if you don't know, then stick with what you do know. <laughs> Amen. Uh, we don't need to teach a Sunday school class and training and, and um, discipling people about the giants and the, and, and the women and the angels and so forth. You need to teach them what happened to them when they got born again and they got saved, their identity with Christ, and tell them to go out and be witnesses. Okay. So the church, after Revelation chapter 4, and I think that's where we were. But I, my point was, according to God's word, everything produces after its own kind. So we don't have any hybrids. Revelation chapter 4, verse 1. After this, I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was, as it were, a trumpet talking with me, which said, come up here. Now, he just finished writing letters to all seven churches in Asia. Now, he says, and this is referencing the rapture of the church, the catching away of the church. Now, he says, come up here and I will show you things which must be hereafter. Okay, you remember in Revelation 1, we started, it says you'll see things in the past, the present, and the future. Now he says, come up here. I will show you things that must be hereafter. And immediately I was in the spirit and behold, a throne was set in heaven and one that sat on the throne. So now the church is no longer on the earth. The church has been caught up to meet Christ in the air. Now let's go over to Jude chapter one. Back up a few pages here. Now this is the white screen, the church. Don't be deceived. Don't be distracted. As they say in Texas, you dance with the one that brought you. Right. You know, you stay with the word. <laughs> uh, 
in Jude, uh, verse 1 through 6. Jude, the servant of Jesus, the brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called, mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered unto the saints. He didn't say to be contentious. He said to contend for the faith. Your faith is in Jesus Christ. He wants you to stay with that mandate. He wants you to stay with the gospel. Do you know what the gospel is? Now, uh, in Matthew 24, Jesus tells his disciples that eventually they, the 144,000, will go into all the earth and preach the gospel of the kingdom yes. to the world. And we'll company of people. You can't number them. There's so many. We're, we've all been told and uh, I guess looking for um, the end time revival uh, that's going to be phenomenal and going to come to Christ. What well, I don't see any scripture reference to an end time revival before the rapture of the church. I do see one after the rapture and it takes place during the tribulation period. Jesus said 144,000 Jewish evangelists are going to preach the gospel of the kingdom to the world. And in Revelation 7, Revelation 12, 18, different ones, we'll read some of it. It says that there's so many people standing before the throne of God <laughs> that John says, who are these people? They're all robes of righteousness and fine linen. It's very apparent that they're born again. <laughs> They've been saved. Where did they come from, he said. And the angel <laughs> These are those that were saved out of the tribulation period. Now, though 144,000 Jewish evangelists are preaching the gospel of the kingdom. What is the gospel of the kingdom? The king is coming. That's the second coming. The king is coming. That's what they're going to be preaching. Well, what have we been preaching for 2,000 years? The gospel of grace. We've been teaching the gospel of grace, what Paul revealed to the church company. Okay. <clears throat> it's in verse 3, Jude um, uh, go to verse 4. For there are certain men kept, crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation. Ungodly men turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness. That means without restraint. You can do anything. Because of the grace of God, you can live any way you want to. And that's, that's not... And denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. I will therefore put you in remembrance, though you once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believe not. And the angels, now listen to this, goes back to what we <clears throat> said about angels. And the angels which kept their first estate, uh, excuse me, kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, hath reserved in everlasting chains un, under darkness unto the judgment of that great day. Is referring to the great white throne judgment. That's where the unrighteous dead are judged. <clears throat> You're not going to be there. You're going to be at the judgment seat of Christ, not the unrighteous dead. You're not going to be at the great white throne judgment. That's for people that have rejected Christ or... Uh, are unrighteous. I heard a pastor, uh, oh, I guess several months ago now, he kind of got, he kind of jumped over a, a, a chasm. He was talking about the Jesuit seat of Christ where we receive our rewards, and then he got over into the, sec, uh, into the, un, the uh, unrighteous dead the great white throne judgment, and says, now you're going to have to give account for everything in your life when you stand before God. Whoa, wait a minute. He went from one judgment to another. He went from the uh, seat of Christ. It's not a judgment of sin. Right. Not a judgment of punishment. It's a judgment of works. Right. Yeah. What did you do in the body of Christ? That's what you're going to get rewarded for. Judgment seat of Christ is a rewarding time. The uh, great white throne judgment is for unbelievers 
It's not for believers. Besides that, you can't give account of everything you did in your life anyway. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> I can't remember <clears throat> some of the things uh, from last week. <laughs> I mean, how am I going to remember? And that's not a negative confession, right. but y you know what I'm... Yes, sir. You don't have to raise your hand. Okay. <laughs> and, and these... these uh, angels which kept not their first estate he said they're going to be in chains until the day of judgment even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner giving themselves over to fornication going after strange flesh or other flesh that takes care of the Nephilim and the uh, women uh, set forth in his example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Now, <clears throat> I'm, I'm going to cut to the chase here. Uh, I want you to go over to the third screen, the blue screen. And this is where I almost lost it. Go to Revelation chapter 19. So remember our, our opening text. The green screen represents the understanding the spirit of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus. The white screen is the condition of the church and what's going on in the church. Not to be deceived. Not to be distracted. The third screen was heaven. What's going on in heaven right now? And the Lord quickened to me. He said we are in preparation mode in heaven. He said, you know what we're preparing for? The coronation of the king, <laughs> King Jesus. Uh, Revelation 19, verse 1. And after these things, I heard a great voice of much people in heaven saying, Hallelujah, salvation, glory, honor, power unto the Lord our God. Now remember, Revelation, <clears throat> book of Revelation is things past, present, and future. Now, John has come over to another dimension of time. For true and righteous are his judgments, for he hath judged the great whore, which did corrupt the earth with her fornication, hath avenged the blood of his servants. And I won't go into all the definitions. You can get Jeannie's syllabus on the book. Of the great whore, the harlot, referring to Babylon, which is actually, some people believe, divided up into two areas. Babylon was a false religion, and it taught against God, against Christ. Political and ecclesiastical government. And that's why one author said that America is Babylon, is because we have come to every... Uh, characteristic and so America quote is Babylon but again you have to go back to the scriptures it says Babylon is a mystery so that means it has you'll know what Babylon is false religion some say it was Roman Catholic Church some say it was, you know, uh, <clears throat> Antichrist. But notice in the next verse, again they say, Hallelujah, and her smoke rose up forever and ever, and the four and twenty elders and the four beasts fell down and worshipped God that sat on the throne, saying, Amen, Hallelujah. And a voice came out of the throne, saying, Praise our God, all ye his servants and ye that fear him, both great and small. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude. This is John, up before the throne of God. As the voice of many waters and the voice of mighty thunderings, saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord omnipotent reigneth. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him. For the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready. Now, the Bible says, if we're going to read it down here, it says, and the church is making herself ready. So that's what's going on in the church. We're making ourselves ready for the marriage. And to her 
Well, that's where it is, verse 7. I didn't read it. Let us be glad and rejoice. Give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife hath made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. And he saith unto me, Right, blessed are they which are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto him, These are the true sayings of God. And I fell at his feet to worship him. And he said unto me, See thou do it not, for I am your fellow servant and of your brethren that have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. The angel said, Don't worship me. Worship God. He said, The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Now, everybody has a testimony of Jesus. We all do. We all have a testimony of what Jesus has done for us, in us, through us. That's the spirit of prophecy. The spirit of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus. And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat on him was called faithful and true. That's the picture that Jeannie has on the front of her um, book. But now i close with this. Back up to Revelation 5, verse 1. Heaven is preparing to receive the church. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He's preparing to receive us. He's preparing to receive the body of Christ, the church company. Revelation chapter 5. He's all, heaven is also preparing for the coronation of the king. <laughs> Look at Revelation 5.1. And I saw on the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the backside sealed with seven seals. And I saw an angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? And no man in heaven nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. And I wept much. Can you imagine this? <clears throat> Try to imagine what is taking place here and what they are seeing. Uh, I did a funeral for one of our former church members Wednesday, I think it was. Sue Donatachi, some of you that Went to Agape for years. You knew Sue. Sue was blind. She was born blind. Precious lady. Very talented. She worked as switchboard operator. She taught classes at line um, school for the blind. I mean, she just didn't sit and, you know, pick with her cane. She was very active and lived all of her life for the Lord. And when I was asked to do her funeral, or she wanted me to do her funeral, <clears throat> I found the scripture. It says, and we must walk by faith and not by sight. <laughs> and I thought, can you imagine what she saw? Absent from the body to be present with the Lord. She had been blind all her life. She had never seen anything. And for her to open her eyes and see Jesus and see heaven. Whoo! And, and, and Sue always <clears throat> spoke faith. I used to ask her all the time. I said, well, how are you doing, uh, Sue? She said, oh, I'm seeing just fine. Our church did outings occasionally, and we went to Traveler's Field to see the Travelers play baseball one summer. And anybody that wanted to go, we had barbecue. And she was standing there under the concession stand. And I walked up to her, and I said, Sue, I said, what are you doing? She said, I'm waiting for the ball game to start. I said, well, how did you get here? She said, I drove. I said, you drove. She was always talking like that. I said, well, how are you going to get home? She said, I'm going to drive home. She was, that was her faith. She was living her faith. And one day, bang, she could see. And who do you think she saw? There is St. Peter at the gate. Amen. Absolutely present with the Lord. 
I hate to interject this here, but it just <coughs> came to me. It's not canon. It's not God. It's not scriptural. It's just funny. This lady died. She went up to heaven. <clears throat> she met St. Peter at the gate. Have I told this before here? Stay on, Pastor. <clears throat> and he said, welcome. I'm glad you came. Let me check the records here. He opens and says, yeah, your name's in the book of life. But before you go into heaven, you have to answer one question. You have to spell a word. She said, what is the word? He said, love. She said, well, I can do that. L-O-V-E. He said, enter in. And then Peter turned around and came back and said, now, I've got to take care of some other business. He said, since you know uh, what's going on here, he said, would you just stand here and wait until anybody else comes up and you can? She said, yeah, I can do that. So she's standing there, and all of a sudden, the elevator came up, and it was her ex-husband. He came up and she said, wow. She said, let me check the book. She said, your name's in the book, but you can't go in until you can spell one word. He said, what's that? She said, Constantinople. <laughs> oh, little, very little. Some of you didn't laugh at all. Some of you will figure that out tomorrow. Okay, let's go back real. And... Beheld, lo, in the midst of the throne of the four beasts, in the midst of the elders stood a lamb that has it been slain, having seven horns, seven eyes, with the seven spirits of God sent forth to all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and four and twenty elders fell down before the lamb, having every one of them harps, golden vials, full of odors, which are the prayers of saints and they sang a new song thou art worthy to take the book to open the seals thereof for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by the blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation and thou hast made us unto our God kings and priests and we shall reign on the earth. Hallelujah. I'll close with this. In, uh, when Queen Elizabeth died, and I was listening to an interview that they did with her, Queen Elizabeth was very notably a Christian even though she was Queen of England. And we, and my generation, we all felt like we knew her. She was kind of a matriarch, you know, to the world because we grew up under her uh, queenship. Uh, she served in World War II. She was uh, a mechanic for the um, uh, army in Great Britain. And, in fact, she and my mother were the same age. And had my mother lived, uh, she would be, she'd been 100 years old last year. And so we always heard about Queen Elizabeth. She was on the newsreel. She was in the magazines, Life magazine, all the periodicals that people read in those days because there was no television uh, in the 40s and 50s, at least in the mid-50s. And so they interviewed her, and she had always asked Billy Graham to come and preach uh, in, in her home uh, in, in Buckingham Palace when he would come to London. She would invite him to come and preach to her staff. <laughs> Not many people know this. And so they asked her and said, now, your testimony is, is that you know Christ as your Lord and Savior. She says, oh, yes. said, can you tell me what you're looking forward to uh, when you die? And she said, oh, yes, I can. She said, when I get to heaven, I'm looking forward to casting my crown at his feet. Hallelujah. 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 Glory to God. Father, I thank you for interpreting all of this to this body of believers. Bring it back to their remembrance. Edify them when they think about it. Bless them as they read the book of Revelation and give them more understanding 
of uh, the spirit of prophecy, the testimony of Jesus Christ. And I ask it in his name. Amen. Let's everybody stand. Praise God. Turn it back over to you, Pastor, for whatever you need to do.